0: The Kaplan Community Podcast is a platform for the wider Kaplan community to share ideas and insights that can guide us on our professional and academic development. It's easy
1: to listen to, but tackles some hard-hitting issues, and we think it's a great way to appreciate diverse perspectives on life, learning, and careers.
2: Hi, I'm John Colottis. I'm a human resource professional currently working at Relationships Australia, New South Wales, um, and great to be here.
1: On today's episode, we have John Colitis, an alumnus of Kaplan Professional with nearly 20 years in human resources and people and culture. How are you doing today, John?
2: Yeah, doing really well. Thanks. Working from home, enjoying the sun. Glad to be a part of this podcast.
1: Yeah, it's it's great to have you. So, John, you work now as PNC Business Partner at Relationships Australia you've also been on i learned james Adonopoulos's course advisory panel which is great that you've participated in in sort of forming some of the studies at kbs or or kp so you have some expertise on personality as it relates to well-being interpersonal relationships how would you approach the idea of interpersonal wellness
2: there's so many so many components of that, I suppose. So if you're talking about, you know, the, the social relationships and, and, and how they, they sort of play out, I think, yeah, there is, there is just so much, I think, that you can cover. And depending on who you're talking about and referring to, I think it makes a big difference as well. So if you're talking about international students, obviously it's not something that I can, I can speak to from personal experience. But, when I was considering this, um, I, I, I think it was it's really interesting because i'm I'm a naturally curious person, and I think also due to my profession, I often have conversations or or, or observations around a lot of things like this. And I think so much of it is of, of people's ability to to build into personal skills with, you know, communication just being one part of it, I think it is very much influenced by their experience, you know, by the, the environment in which they live. If But if you look at it across the board, I actually think that there are also some real similarities between what people in a, at a local level experience as well as those in an international set, from an international student perspective. And I think what I've been really considering actually for a long time, and it's a conversation I've had with many colleagues and, and, and even just friends is why, you know, it, when, when I speak to people who have moved here, a lot of people find it really difficult to settle and to fit in, to meet people and to build friendship networks, in particular with locals. And, and I think this is similar. Even when my grandparents came to Australia back in the fifties from from Cyprus, is the the communities in in the initial stages anyway. They always they will bandy together because it's you know there's support there and there's similar experiences and and culture and 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 that type of stuff. So I think that plays out. You know, even even to this day. And it's interesting, if you contrast that, sometimes the people who come here on a holiday, even they might have a slightly different experience, and I think it's, it's almost like a mindset, right? So if you're coming here on a holiday, you're having fun, you, you're probably more likely to be a bit more outgoing because you're on a high, and, and so you might be able to interact with locals at a different on a different level. But I think once you move here, it's an interesting concept, and I don't know whether social media exacerbates things. There's a lot of research around how social media impacts mental health and but i think it also surely has to impact our social skills if so much of what our social interaction is virtual it's online it's via instagram or whatsapp or whatever it is i just i feel like it has to have an impact on people's ability to converse and build relationships on a face-to-face basis and that's international students that's locals that's everyone and and you sort of see it play out a lot with the proliferation of the Tinders and all this type of stuff, but I think it, it's it's all symptomatic of you know, we're probably not as confident in communicating and building relationships on a you know real sort of human way. It's it, it, it's just the the whole environment has changed. I really struggle to provide any solutions other than as much as possible, just trying to to make sure that you're prioritising social settings instead of doing that from your living room couch with your mobile phone in hand because it is just like anything, it, it is, it's a skill and it's a building confidence to do it. If you're not going out there and, and I'm not saying it's easy, uh, I think there are heaps of barriers that will probably lead, you know, to people finding that difficult. But um, if you don't go out there and you don't try, it's like anything, it's a skill that you have to build and you've got to learn and it's trial and error and tackle it that way.
0: John, I'm looking back and I'm thinking about when I immigrated and I was trying to fit in and I was trying to get into understanding and making friends with Australians. And I had the social skills. English is my first language. I was very comfortable, but I stood out because I had an accent. And then I started noticing that I stood out because I felt desperate and dateless. Who wants to go to a a movie by yourself or go to a party all by on, on your lonesome? So it really started affecting my self-esteem, my self-efficacy. I started doubting myself and wondering, is there something wrong with me? Why don't people like me? When we're trying to establish these social relationships and we're brand new to a country, we don't have any friends, how do we keep up our self-esteem and how do we, like you mentioned, how do we get off the couch and make sure that we practice in the social setting to try to make acquaintances and fit into the community?
2: I think something that you've you just touched on then, right? So some would say that, as you said, you're, you're still a, a white man, a white male who speaks English, and you still went through a, a similar type of experience. And I think that is really powerful because I think a lot of the time people may feel like they, that it's, it's them and it's a personal thing, but they don't realise that everyone experiences that to a certain extent. And so I think once you, if, if, once you really understand that and, and believe that it takes some of the pressure off and so maybe then it's about just understanding that you, you will not click with everyone and in particular if you're moving here from another country, it will, take, it will potentially take longer. I'm always astounded and absolutely in awe at the, the resilience of people who move here especially from places that that English is not the first language and even just recognizing that like practicing that sort of self compassion to, to say you know you have you have done something that is absolutely incredible and, and and very difficult and so you've got to give yourself credit for that because again i think it's about building yourself up and and making sure that you're that you have a level of self confidence that can persist through some challenging time?
1: I think that persistence is definitely a key. And I can relate to the conversation a lot. When I first came to Australia six years ago, I couldn't make any Aussie friends for a while. I encountered sort of insular groups of, of people who had gone to school together for a long time. And for years, my, my friends here were all Chinese and Latinos and, and Indians. Now, if of course discovered aussies make wonderful friends and and you know it just took a while to break into that i'm actually really interested in your comments on prioritizing social settings because just an anecdote i have a younger brother he's much younger a preteen and he spends all his day and night on a computer or phone at first i thought i felt like a, an old fuddy-duddy i thought geez he must be building no social skills at all But then I looked closer and I talked with them about it, and it's just the norm for for them. It's the norm. They play together online. They build things together online. They interact in, in every way that you can think of. So that might be a new norm. And what do you think that might hold for the future if it's moving that way?
2: You know, upon reflection, I think that is a really valid point, right, because there are certain people that would actually prefer that type of social interaction for different reasons. You know the gaming community is massive and it's very social and it's very collegiate and 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 I think there are some absolutely fantastic characteristics that everyone could learn from. So for some that will be enough and and more than enough. This is where it's such an individual type of approach. It's really hard to give a one size fits all type of advice. And and again I think so much of what we talk about has to be a that you need a level of self-awareness and emotional intelligence because that way you understand what your preferences are, what your strengths and weaknesses are. Once you understand that, you're better able to try and identify what actions you can take or what things you can try to improve your experience.
0: I wonder today, I have thought about that too, I've wondered today with Karen's comment about social media, and just the ability to stay connected, even though it's you know electronic, not face to face, that it must be easier for people than when I came. And really it was too expensive to even call home, you know, call back to the United States. And to get a letter back and forth took about four months on a ship. That's how, you know, instantaneous my communication was. And then I discovered that one of the best ways to make Aussie friends. And I do agree with Kieran. I I did have a trouble. I, was inter- I had international friends everywhere. And I started making Aussie friends by cracking jokes at myself. So if I said a, a funny word with an American accent, I really played it up and got everyone else to laugh. I'm curious what you think. That kind of self-deprecating sense of humor of laughing at myself seemed to work for me but I'm curious what you think. Is that a good strategy or is that just something individually that I was willing to do?
2: I think so much depends on the person and, and the context. I think self-deprecating humour is in some ways can be good, but in others maybe not. So being able to to joke about yourself shows that you've potentially got a level of vulnerability and confidence that, you know, you. You realise that you're not perfect, and you're happy to to make a joke about it. It could also represent underlying, you know, self confidence issues or or a lack of self worth and value. Trying to understand what's driving it and the reasons why you're doing it. If you're doing it because you're you're being very deliberate and it's a and it's a strategy that you're trying to trying to utilise, then you know potentially that that can work for you. The other concern i have about it sometimes is again depending on the context it could play into stereotypes so if the self-deprecation is around racial characteristics for example the question is is that exacerbating an underlying cultural racism casual racism as we like to deem it in australia as if it's any less damaging that would be my concerns i suppose
0: I can see both sides of what you're saying because I I did make fun of myself a lot and at first I thought that I was the funniest guy in history because everyone laughed and then I started feeling really insecure about oh my goodness I'm I'm weird.
1: If you're talking about communication as a foundation of interpersonal relationships and socializing what are some of the common from your experience, what are some common barriers to communication or problems that people might experience?
2: I do think that level of self-awareness and emotional intelligence is really important. So it's it's being able to understand how your your communication and the and the things that drive the way you communicate, what 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 makes you communicate the way you do? I think if you ask people and they how to think about it, they might be able to explain it but i just don't think we think about it enough and at the right time and and i think a lot of it seems to be an inability to genuinely listen and and make a genuine attempt to understand other people's positions situations and experiences and so we we tend to talk at each other a lot and only pay sort of cursory attention and time to actually listening to people because we're usually then about to we're trying to think about what we're going to say in response and we're not actually listening to what they're saying so I think that's a really I think that's a really important one because it's not just if you're debating a certain topic I think it's genuinely about social interactions and building relationships if you're having a conversation with someone and I'm sure everyone's had this experience you know you're meeting someone for the first time and they talk about themselves the whole time. They don't ask you, you know, what are you, what are you like doing? You know, what's, what are you up to? What's your life about? And you sit down and you think, well, maybe he'll ask me at some point and it sort of doesn't happen. And if it does, it's a five-second window before they jump back in. So it, it's that type of stuff that I think it is really about that level of self-awareness and emotional intelligence to, to pick up on cues, to really make sure that you're making a genuine attempt to, to listen and to understand people and get to know them and demonstrate that you're doing that in some way. So whether, you know, you're playing something back or, you know, next time you speak to them, you say, Oh yeah, I remember you told me about this, you know, people, those little things actually make a really big impact on people. Definitely a skill. And if you work at it, I I do think people can improve and improve, you know, outcomes.
0: So, You know, with a skill, there's a mistake. So I'm really wondering what's a good way to, when you encounter conflict, what's a good emotionally intelligent way to try to resolve it?
2: (laughs) It will always depend on the situation and the people, right? Because if you think about it, everyone has different appetites for conflict. You know, some people avoid it. Some people accommodate it. Others are more collaborative. Others are more competitive and, and combative, so as you said, really understanding your your general reaction to conflict and, and and how you deal with it is important, but then also to think about it from the other person's perspective. So just stopping and taking the time I think is really important because it can look so different, conflict, right? Like it can be just really subtle, passive-aggressive, or it can be very overt, you know, aggressive verbal shout whatever it is it's going to require a different response I I don't know whether I'm just getting older or I've done more reading but one of the things that I've noticed in myself in a change is even if I'm really frustrated by someone's behavior or that you know if they're creating conflict I really I, I have this tendency now which I never did is to try and understand what's Driving that behavior, and and I think this is potentially you know comes again from from being in HR. You're often dealing with situations where there's you know interpersonal conflict at work and whatever it is, and and or even if I'm trying to coach a leader and I see that you know their behavior is is not great. You know that they're, they're complaining about an employee, but actually you know when I when I observe things, I can see that the way that they communicate or you know is creating conflict and tension. But in order for me to influence change in behavior that creates conflict in particular you have to understand what's driving what's driving the behavior it's like a curiosity and what I found actually is when sometimes when that plays out the mere fact that you're curious and you're asking questions and if you're doing it in a genuine way trying to understand that person's position it's amazing how much it can diffuse a situation. So, Because so often people just want to feel like they're being heard or they feel threatened in some way. They feel like they're going to lose something. And so it becomes an aggressive, defensive response. And that could be a fear of losing a lot of different things, right? It could be about power. It could be about respect or it could be a bunch of things. So it's just really trying to understand. And I think that what that needs, and sometimes it'll be easier than other times is you just to stop, stop and try and reframe things in your head because your natural inclination is to jump right back in. You know, practicing that empathy, putting yourself in that person's shoes. If if nothing else, then a a tactical, strategic step is important and will and will help you.
0: John, I like your comment about empathy because I've got to say, when I was younger my approach to conflict was either to run because I thought that I was in trouble and someone didn't like me, or to fight like crazy, smash him, so they never had conflict with me again. And over growing up, basically, I've learned that empathy to try to look at conflict as the other person feeling uncomfortable rather than some fault inherent in me. You made me reflect. So sometimes unresolved conflict, I suppose, is probably not understanding the other person's point of view.
2: And even if you understand it, you might not be showing that you do. Often people do understand. They know very well what the other person is going through, but they're not demonstrating that to the other person. So it it, it really depends, you know, like if if you're being bullied and you're about to be bashed up, like I'm not saying take, you know, take a deep breath and try and put yourself in that person's shoes. Like, again, (laughs) context is important. (laughs) But, but yeah, I think there is a real opportunity, even if, you have no interest in in becoming friends with this person, or even really care about a, a good working relationship. If for nothing more than your own your own benefit, it can be a, a strategic benefit to to approach things this way.
1: I'm now interested about conflict and relationships, Australia. To learn more about that, we weren't going to make this show so focused on on the pandemic, but. It's been 18 months and here in Sydney, we've just entered another four weeks lockdown. So I just want to know how, you know, psychiatrists, psychologists and counsellors around the country, they're booked out interpersonal conflicts because the domestic, the domestic norm, the domestic lifestyle has been totally turned upside down by the pandemic around the world. So I want—I would be interested to know. How has the pandemic, and whether it's lockdowns or what, how has that affected interpersonal relationships? And, And what is Relationships Australia doing to mediate that?
2: COVID has exacerbated already underlying and existing social problems, and it's maybe created some others. So there are a couple of parts to it. So there's a general economic downturn element, but there's also a lockdown element where... You know, in particular, you're then dealing with things like isolation, whether that's for poor single people like me or the elderly or homelessness, those sorts of things. But what we've also noticed is there's been a significant increase in things like marriage problems. In particular, domestic family violence has significantly increased and it's actually really concerning But even things like I saw a graph this week, I think, around spending habits. I think at one stage one of the highest increases was gambling, for example. So you can understand the sort of implications that that has on relationships. So there has been an incredible impact from an individual, a a family perspective and from a community perspective that that we are not coping with.
1: Okay, well I appreciate you being so candid and and your response I understand. You're you're in HR but actually that was really comprehensive. I guess I just wanted to get at um if somebody's experiencing some interpersonal conflicts and they're they're in lockdown or something, what what should they do? You know, what should I do if I'm if I'm having troubles at home in Australia? What would you recommend?
2: Yeah, I mean we have relationship counseling. But there are plenty of organisations that do a bunch of different things, whether it's, depending on, on your situation, if it's interpersonal stuff, there are a bunch of organisations that will provide even just free resources or counselling sessions or group sessions. There are a bunch, There are are There are a lot of organisations that provide support. It is difficult, though, sometimes to find them. And then sometimes if you do, you might not be able to get in as quickly as you want to.
0: John, if we could turn our focus on to work we have in our our workplaces, and then we talk about burnout. And then recently we've talked about bore out. First,
2: you've got to ask yourself, where is the boredom coming from? Are you bored with your job and the profession as a whole? Or is it just that in this particular organization, you've stagnated, you're not feeling challenged, you're being overlooked for promotions or whatever it is? So, first, try and reflect on what it is. That's the problem. And then you can try and figure out what you can do about it. You have the option to try something different. Again, depending on economic situation, your financial situation and family obligations, all that sort of stuff, people have a different maybe capacity to change things or make, you know, big changes in career and stuff like that. But, but if it's just that you're in a, in a role, you like what you do generally, but you've stagnated, there are a bunch of things that you can do, and I think one of the really, again, it really is to reflect on what it is that with it, you, you know, how have you got here? Is it because you haven't done enough to keep yourself engaged? Is it that the organization has a type of culture or, or leadership style that dampens your engagement? And you, you then are able to try and figure out some steps that you can take, right? If, if it's more about yourself, then you know, how are you? How are you keeping yourself motivated? What motivates you? Do you even know? You you know, what what is it that would change your motivation? What's missing? And then try and work towards filling that gap. You know, it doesn't have to be promotions. You know, if you've got a certain skill set that you you don't feel is being utilised or if you've got a passion that you really want to get more involved in, then maybe there are projects. Maybe it's even a mentoring relationship. There are a bunch of things that you can do or you can out, go out and learn more. The pace of change is just faster and faster and if you are not continually learning new skills and relevant skills, you will make yourself redundant and you'll bore yourself because all of the, the more repetitive or the automatable tasks will be automated, right? So how how are you keeping yourself relevant and interested and interesting and valuable because that will provide an inherent sense of self-worth as well right when you're learning new things especially if it's stuff that you like doing and you know that that means that you know you're going to be more attractive to to organizations that's a great feeling you know but, but sometimes people find it very hard i think we, people get into a rut and they get in this sort of level of stagnation or complacency um or and or helplessness and, and and i think there are plenty of things that you can do you just need to you, you really need to want to do it, um and it's not going to be easy. Everyone's not going to be able to get a promotion. I'm not saying I'm not saying that, but unless you try, you're, you're never going to know
0: <laughs> well john as a as a follow- up, you obviously have a lot of experience in human resources, the way you're speaking about, you know particularly bore out just now, and what we could do to take steps to develop our career. And I've looked on your LinkedIn profile. And I see that you are a human resources and organization development professional. So I'd like to know what's the difference for somebody who's looking to follow in a career in HR. What is the difference between human resources and organization development, and how might a new person get into the into the field?
2: Yeah, look, it's interesting. There's I, I probably, probably a few professions that have so many different ways of talking of. You know what to call call themselves HR, human capital, people and culture, all that type of stuff. But essentially, human resources is an umbrella uh, sort of term for the for our function. And within human resources, there are probably a bunch of sub functions or specialties. So, most of my career has been more of a generalist business partnering role. So, working with senior leaders from everything from the day-to-day operational stuff to more strategic coaching of leaders, um, helping them to develop their strategies in, that include people strategies. The business needs to achieve this and this. What, what are the people strategies that we need to put in place? Part of that might be organisational development type of stuff. So, Usually I think what we mean by organisational development is looking at the, the structure of our teams, the way we craft jobs and job descriptions, and to, to, to look at that and then to understand is that optimal, is that working for us now or and into the future, considering what might be changing. Um, so what might we need to change from a team structure, from, you know, how who does what, all of that type of stuff. And then based on all of that, what's working, what's not, and what are the skills that we might need to focus more on? So we've got all the, these are the types of roles we need, but do we have the people that have those capabilities to do those roles? And if not, what are the ones that we need to train people on? So it's, it's that type of stuff. It's a bit more of a, a strategic overview of our of the workforce how the how the business is structured and and what what are the key capabilities um skills and experience that you need to make that work
1: well thank you john for your time today it's been a really great podcast and i think we learned a lot we learned that a lot of interpersonal wellness can be accomplished through things like just focusing on understanding yourself and your communication with others so thanks for coming
2: I really appreciate uh, the opportunity to talk to everyone, it's been great.
1: If you're feeling unwell or in need of help, reach out. Anyone in Australia can get immediate mental health support by calling the National Lifeline on 13 11 14. And Beyond Blue has great 24-7 support staff at 1300 22 46 36.
0: Kaplan employees can contact HR or access free counselling KBS students have access to free confidential campus counselors, safety, and support services such as Sonder. Reach out to your campus student experience team for friendly guidance on accessing these services.